Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Brother of the Manchester concert terrorist is finally forced to face the music himself. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, remember the Manchester concert, the Ariana Grande concert, the horrendous terror attack in 2017? Well, <laughs> that guy, that terrorist, ISIS terrorist, Salman Ramadan Abidi, has a brother. And his brother was in Libya at the time of the attack, but he is being accused um, of being an accomplice. And I'm going to tell you all about this. His name is Hashem Abidi. He's 22 now, and that is the same age that his brother Salman was when he perpetrated the attack on the Manchester Arena. Um, this brother is a rather wayward brother. Well, they're both wayward brothers. But um, he managed to uh, be in Libya. You could call him the cowardly brother, um, although they spoke 15 minutes before the actual attack. And um, there is evidence that the brother, um, Hashem, who was just uh, returned to the UK, there is evidence about him having been the accomplice to his brother who actually died um, as a suicide bomber in the Manchester attack. Now, you would think that the younger brother would have his tail between his legs as he is being returned to the UK, but no, <laughs> he is uh, adamantly denying charges against him. He denies having anything to do with this. Good luck. Um, hopefully, the good thing about this is that there may be justice at hand for the victims of this Manchester bombing. Now, um, he uh, is being charged with, um, let me tell you, he is being charged with 22 counts of murder because 22 people died in the Manchester attack. He's being charged with one count of attempted murder, and that is a kind of symbolic count, a symbolic count for all of the people who were injured in the attack. And he is also being charged of conspiring with his brother to cause the explosions. Now, during this attack, there were, as I said, 22 people who died. There were 260 people who were seriously injured, some with life-changing injuries. And so that is, those are the people who are represented in the one count of attempted murder. And then six, at least 600 people, at least, reported psychological harm. Now, um, Hashem is, uh, is um, also being charged with helping to buy bomb-making chemicals for the attack and for buying a, Nis a Nissan Micra to store the bomb components. 
So all of these charges against him, and there are, obviously, they have been waiting two years to charge him, to get him in, into a UK court. He was actually arrested a day after the Manchester bombing. But he was put in jail in Libya, and it took all this time to get him back to the UK. And I'll explain that a little bit, a little bit more later. Um, he, why this is news now is because he was just brought back and he was just brought into court and, um, and the charges were read to him. Um, he is described as having been sitting impassively in the court as the names of each person killed in the attack was read out. Um, he has a lawyer named Zafar Ali, uh, defending him, who announced to the court that he denied all the charges, and they did not uh, enter any formal pleas during this 15-minute hearing. It was, just, it was just basically to read him his charges and to, uh, to make the point, show the world, particularly the UK and particularly Manchester, that this man is here and is going to finally have to face the music, as I said. Now, um, the, the Abidi family, both Hashem and his brother Salman, were um, raised in Manchester. <laughs> I mean, you know, his parents, his ancestors, his parents came from Libya, but, um, but they were raised in Manchester, the very place that they then attacked. Um, he, he fled to Libya, this is Hashem, fled to Libya before his older brother detonated his suicide vest. So that's why I'm calling him a coward. Um, he, the, the lawyer for uh, Hashem told the court that Hashem had been in solitary confinement since his arrest in Libya two years ago. And the lawyer is claiming that Hashem was tortured by the special deterrence force in Tripoli, also known as RADA. He said uh, that Hashem was forced to sign a 40-page confession under extreme duress. Yeah. Um, and that Hashem didn't contest extradition because, get this, he wanted to return to the UK to clear his name. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about uh, Hashem, but first let me remind you about details of the Manchester Arena bombing. Um, I'm sure you'll remember that was the at the end of a concert by Ariana Grande, who, by the way, is still suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from this uh, attack. She didn't. She wasn't physically injured, but you know, obviously, she was traumatized. Um, not only because of being there, but also because of feeling incredibly guilty for all and bad, sad for all her her fans who were at her concert. Um, the attack occurred on May twenty second, twenty seventeen, and um, I told you the attacker was Salman Ramadan Abidi, who was twenty two at the time. Um, now it was interesting for a long time. Well. There was all this question about, uh, they arrested a number of people uh, soon after the attack, people in the UK, and um, 
they ultimately released them. But then, as I said, a day after the Manchester attack, they did uh, have the brother arrested in Libya. Now, this attack, um, the Manchester bombing, was the deadliest terror attack and the first suicide bombing in the UK since the July 7th, you know, 7-7-2005 London bombings. That is still the worst. Um, but uh, that was, you know, that is considered their 9-11. Um, actually, my first book about terrorism came out uh, at the one-year anniversary of 7-7. It was called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, and it was published by a London publisher. And it was, you know, it was released on that date, on the one-year anniversary. Um, so, getting back to the Manchester attack... Um, this attack was caused by an IED, an improvised explosive device, that was packed with nuts and bolts that was uh, shrapnel. It, uh, it, the, the attacker, um, Solomon, uh, detonated himself, detonated, blew himself up in the foyer of the Manchester Arena as the concert was ending. Ironically and kind of sadly, then it was, <laughs> it was a part of her 2017 Dangerous Woman tour. I'm sure when she named the tour Dangerous Woman, she was not thinking that anything like this would happen. There were 14,200 people at the concert. So when you think about that, the fact that only 22 died, only, uh, and 260 wounded... Um, and, of course, the psychological wounds were much greater. There, I, I've talked about that before, about how many people, not just people who were at the concert, but people in Manchester and people even across uh, the UK, but especially people in Manchester, were psychologically traumatized, even if they weren't at the concert. Um, so this bomb was actually strong enough to kill people who were 66 feet away. So it is amazing that more people weren't killed. Um, there were people, there were hotels, and um, there were various things done after the concert. You know, everybody came to the, acted like their higher selves and came to help people. It was such a total shock, but people really fell into the helpful mode, kind of like in 9-11, you know, in New York, when um, people, you know, became incredibly um, passionate towards everybody else. Well, I'm going to stop here, and when we come back, I'll talk more about the actual Manchester attack to remind you of all the details of that, and then to tell you more about the brother of the Manchester bomber, who, as I said, is now um, back in the UK to face the music. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about the brother who has just been extradited back to the UK, the brother of the Manchester concert terrorist. 
His brother is now finally being made to face the music himself. Len, let me tell you, remind you about the attacker at the Manchester concert. Uh, again, his name is Salman Ramadan Abidi. He was 22. He was he born in Manchester on December 31st, 1994, to a family of, of Libyan-born refugees who settled in Manchester after they fled to the UK to escape the government of Muammar Gaddafi. He had two brothers and a sister. Um, his neighbors described the family as very traditional and, quote, super religious, unquote. Um, and what's interesting, particularly to me, uh, is that his, his elder brother and the family, in fact, attended the Didsbury Mosque, and, which has a lot of um, connections to terrorism, as I will tell you. But um, what's interesting to me, Didsbury, by the way, is a suburb of um, Manchester. And I was there uh, last year because when I went to London to receive my award for my children's book about terrorism, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, one of the places that I went to, um, beside when I was, I was mostly in London, but then I went to Didsbury, uh, I went to Manchester um, and to donate the books to the Manchester Library and the two mayors of Manchester. And while I was there, I went to a bookstore in Didsbury and gave a reading and a signing. And um, so, you know, it's such a sleepy community, such a peaceful community, a nice community. We're not talking about, um, I mean, I didn't see all of Dids Didsbury, but um, it certainly was not, it did not look like a, uh, what, like a ghetto, you know, it was a nice place to live, nice place to grow up. And um, and he went to school, he went to uh, the Burnage Academy for Boys, the Manchester College. Um, he's been described in various ways. So a tutor said that he was very slow, uneducated, and passive. Um, he was he was amongst a group of students at his high school who accused a teacher of Islamophobia for asking them what they thought of suicide bombers. And he apparently was telling his friends that being a suicide bomber was okay. And um, his fellow college students raised concerns about his behavior, but nobody did squat, <laughs> or everybody did squat. Then his father, um, so the father of the two brothers, obviously, um, was a member of the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, a jihadist organization that the United Nations um, has proscribed, you know, has uh, acknowledged as being a jihadist organization. And father and son fought for the group. That's the um, um, the the elder brother. I mean, um, the the attacker of the of the concert. Um, fought for the group in Libya as 2011. So he was kind of going back and forth from the UK to Libya when he got older. Um, and then he was, when he was 17, he returned to live in the UK. He kind of, he went, then he took a gap year in 2014. They were so, sort of going back and forth. And then he, um, he returned to, to um, 
to Libya with Hashem to live with his parents for a while. And um, he was rescued. And the interesting or the kind of hard to believe fact is that, I mean, it is true, but what's hard to believe is that after he was rescued by the Royal Navy from Tripoli, they rescued him um, as part of a group of British citizens. They took him aboard a a ship and they brought him back to uh, the UK because of Libyan civil war. And so they protected him and his brother. They brought him back to the UK and this is the thanks that they get, that the UK gets. Um, apparently there is intelligence that said that, again, I'm talking now about the brother who perpetrated the Manchester attack, Salman. Um, he, there is intelligence that he met with members of ISIS in Libya and continued to be in contact with them when he returned to the UK. And, um, and apparently, um, I mean, there's all different reports about what um, what uh, what Salman was like. Uh, the, you know that he was. I mean, there was apparently at one time he was uh, described as a regular kid who went out and drank and all that, um, and and took drugs, especially pot. And then he enrolled uh, at the University of Salford in 2014 when he had come back to the UK and started to study business administration, but then he dropped out to work in a bakery. So apparently he had decided at that point or, or sometime soon after that he was going to uh, become a terrorist, or if not before, really. Um, they think that he used student loans to finance the terrorist plot, including his travel overseas to learn bomb-making. Um, and he continued, even though he dropped out, he continued to get student aid, and he returned to Manchester his, on his final return, as I said, he was going back and forth to Libya, but he returned to Manchester on the 18th of May after a trip to Libya, and following this, he purchased bomb-making materials, and um, and originally they thought that he made it himself, that made the bomb himself, which he may have done, and his brother may have just helped him buy the materials. That still has to be, um, that will be demonstrated in court. Um, <clears throat> so what's what, the the sad part, or one of the, I mean, this whole thing is sad, but. Um, He was known to British security, but not thought to be a danger in terms of terrorism. Yet, listen to this, people have, uh, after the Manchester bombing, people came out of the woodwork. Uh, I did a previous podcast about the Manchester bombing, and I talked about this, how there were many people who actually had called um, a hotline or called the police, called, made various calls to report about Salman Abidi, the, the uh, Manchester terrorist. And nobody did anything. The police, the authorities did nothing. Um, one person said he called a hotline five years before the Manchester bombing to warn police about Abidi's views. And then um, people who, other Libyans, who were in Britain, said they warned authority for years about Manchester, about the radicalization that was going on in Manchester. 
and then um, five community leaders and family members um, reported him and um, he had been banned from one mosque. In any case, there was then an inquiry after the Manchester uh, terror attack into how these warnings were handled. And of course, they found that the warnings were not handled very well. Um, now, as I said, about a day after the Manchester bombing, uh, his younger brother, Hashem, and his father were arrested by Libyan security forces. Uh, first he and then his father. And they were, uh, the brother was arrested on suspicion of planning an attack in, in uh, well, planning it. It's unclear whether he was arrested on suspicion of planning an attack in Libya or the attack at the Manchester concert. But in any case, he was known to be in regular concert, contact with Salman and uh, aware of the plan to bomb the Manchester arena. Um, they spoke on the phone, as I said, 15 minutes before the attack. The uh, Salman, the, the Manchester attacker, also spoke to his mother on the phone. She, was, she and her fa his father were in Libya, and they had gone back to Libya. And he spoke on the phone to her before the attack as well, which is so typical. There, in a number of these attacks, the bombers do call home <laughs> and uh, speak to their family. And um, then in uh, the UK, it requested Libya to extradite the younger brother, Hashem, to face trial for complicity in the murder. But this has been delayed for two years, and I'll get to that in the next segment. Uh, the bomb was contained in a backpack the, at, the, at the Manchester Arena, contained TATP. Um, and originally they thought that he bought most of the bomb components himself, but then they realized that his brother had helped him in some way. Perhaps the brother just financed it. It's not clear in conjunction with the money that, uh, that um, Salman got from his student loans. Um, so now we're up to, now we're up to Hashem and we, and, um, well, I want to tell you about the mosque, the Didsbury mosque. I will tell you about that. And then I'll tell you the details about why it took two years for them to extradite, ha um, Hashem, the younger brother. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back. Today we're talking about childhoods gone wrong because of terror. I'm talking about three different ways that childhoods have gone wrong in three different locations. We talked about the UK, then we talked about Toronto, and now I'm going to talk about Germany. And of course, this is all on the general um, uh, statement or uh, condition 
of uh, the fact that all of our children, children around the world, are having childhoods gone wrong because of terror, whether they were in a location that was attacked or whether they have just um, been watching terrorism, news reports about terrorism on television or uh, on the internet or hearing about it on the radio. Um, and as this, uh, the statistics that I read to you about the UK show, and I'm sure that that is not, uh, that is not just uh, in the UK, um, that 49% of the children they surveyed were worried about terrorism. That is, uh, you know, in the US, that would probably be at least that. Um, so adults really need to start paying attention to the fact that kids know a lot more, listen to a lot more than um, what parents, grandparents, teachers want to believe. Um, okay, so now I'm going to talk to you about Germany, and this is a different way that a childhood, two childhoods, <laughs> two children, well, there's actually, I'm going to talk to you about a third as well, but how two children in particular had their childhood gone wrong because of terror. Um, you'll see in a minute. This is a story about how Germany just convicted the first ISIS bride in a precedent-setting case. Um, I'm sure you are aware of the fact that now that the caliphate has been essentially crumbled in the Middle East, um, people um, are want some people, not, not all, but some of the people who travel to the Middle East to join ISIS want to go home to their native countries, including ISIS brides. And this has been... Um, this, is, this has been and is um, gradually becoming more and more of a problem uh, as more people go back to their countries or try to want to go back to their countries. Some countries aren't allowing them to come back. I've talked about an ISIS bride in a previous podcast who wanted to come back to the U.S., but this is all a problem because, um, you know, just because the person is a woman who wants to come back, does not mean that she does not still hold a belief about terrorism, you know, wanting to and wants wanting to destroy the West in her heart. So, um, so let me tell you the story, and then I'll talk more about women. An, an unbelievable number of women uh, traveling to the Middle East, becoming seduced over the internet, and. Um, traveling to become ISIS brides. So, all right, I'm going to talk to you now about the case of Sabine S. They're not uh, releasing her last name or to the media. But Sabine S. has just been convicted and, and received a sentence of five years in jail in Stuttgart. She was found guilty of belonging to a foreign terrorist organization. Um... And the prosecutors proved that her life, um, that, that, that she cooperated or that she, um, that her, her joining, belonging to ISIS resulted in um, 
not just becoming a, an ISIS bride and keeping house for her, for her ISIS fighter, but she did more things than that on behalf of ISIS um, in Syria and Iraq. She was in both of those countries. Now, um, she, her, the prosecutors wanted her to get six years, but the judge lowered her sentence to five years. And he said, he didn't give a great excuse or reason for this, but he said um, that it was because she was being cooperative with them, uh, with the investigation, and that during the 10-day trial, she had distanced herself from terrorists. Well, 10 days, <laughs> hello, judge, <laughs> 10 days, um, she can certainly pretend to not be a terrorist anymore, but um, don't know that we should believe her. But at least she got, this is the first ISIS bride who actually has been brought to trial and convicted. So there is, um, there is progress. Um, she, here's the thing that has to do with, um, with children. Sabine S. is 32 years old and she converted to Islam. And when she went to the Middle East, she went to Syria in 2013 and she left two children behind in Germany. Don't know who cared for the children. Uh, perhaps her parents. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I hope, I hope she put somebody in charge of them. Um, but she left her two children. I mean, can you imagine, try to imagine, the pull that the ISIS fighter had on her presumably over the internet, to get her to leave her two children and Germany, her homeland, to go to the Middle East and marry him. Now, you know, did she perhaps, um, I'm assuming that it was over the internet. They didn't really specify. It could have been someone she met in a mosque in Germany um, or just met in Germany, period. I mean, it doesn't, they didn't say where she can or when she converted to Islam. Um, perhaps it was just after she got to the Middle East. I don't know. She, clearly, she felt strongly about it before she traveled there. But, um, but you know, the idea of leaving, it is not easy for a mother to um, leave her children. I mean, you know, you've heard all kinds of, it, it, it's not natural. It is natural, it is biological, it is psychological, then, then it is inborn in a mother to protect her children. And so the idea that she could be um, persuaded, seduced, literally seduced, to come to the Middle East and uh, contribute to terrorist activities in um, Syria and Iraq, uh, and she didn't leave, she didn't try to leave, you know, while the caliphate was still there. Um, and so she, on the first day that she got there, she married her ISIS fighter, which leads one to believe that he was there to begin with, um, you know, and that she met him over the internet. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. What matters is the first day that she was there, she married him. To hell with her children, right? Um... And when she was there, she ran two propaganda blogs. And the purpose of these blogs were to recruit people to ISIS. 
So for example, she would write on her blogs details of executions that were taking place by ISIS. And she warned people um, who were opposed, anybody who would be opposed to ISIS, that they would have the same fate. Now, um, she was also trained on weapons when she went to uh, the Middle East. And um, she was captured by Kurdish forces in September 2017. She was brought to Germany in 2018, where she was arrested in Baden-Baden and since then has been in custody. Now, there are hundreds of women, hundreds of women who left Germany to, ma to marry ISIS fighters in the years after the outbreak of civil war in Syria, which was 2011. Hundreds, you know, Germany is, is um, I mean, of course, now that it's overrun by immigrants, it is not super safe, but um, it was in 2011. Um, you know, it, a, a decent country. I've been to Germany um, many times and um, not since, not in very recent years, but in 2011, um, it was still a nice place to live. And the, the pull of these ISIS fighters, most of them over the internet, to seduce women to come and marry them by promising them to love them, to have a great life in Syria, in Iraq. Um, you know, it, it is such a strong pull. And most of these women are able to be seduced because they haven't been able to find somebody to love them wherever they live, whether it's Germany or even in the US. In the US, it's especially teenage girls who are being seduced to come to the Middle East. Anyhow, of these hundreds, 50 have returned after the caliphate has fallen. But the prosecutors are having a hard time to um, find grounds to convict them because the high court in Germany said that they're doing just household tasks, in other words, marrying an ISIS fighter and just keeping house is not enough to say that that's supporting ISIS. But this woman who they did convict and gave five years in jail, Sabine S., did more than just keep house for her hubby. <laughs> um, she lived in a series of houses of people who fled ISIS prosecution. And through this occupation, she helped terrorists secure control over the territory that they conquered. So she actually was more active, not, you know, in, in, in these households um, of people who the terrorists conquered. So the prosecutors in Germany are now going to try to use this way of sort of uh, getting the courts to give the ISIS brides jail. Now there's also a trial. I said I was going to tell you about a third child involved in this story. There was also a trial started in Munich, Germany, of a German woman named Jennifer W., who um, worked for ISIL, and on behalf, you know, who came there to um, contribute to terrorist activities. And what she did for ISIS was to participate in the torture of a five-year-old Yazidi girl to death. They tortured this girl to death. At least that's what she is alleged to have done, participating in this torture. So here's another example of childhoods gone wrong because of terror. Clearly, um, 
clearly this, when you, when you think about children, you know, innocent children coming into the world and having their lives um, kidnapped, essentially, destroyed by terror, it's a very sad story indeed, and one that should spur us all on to try to do more in the war against terror. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.